0: Welcome to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, where we discover popular and uh, interesting travel industry posts, which appeared on LinkedIn uh, recently. And uh, in the process, we link the industry. Uh, before we continue, just a bit of housekeeping, we do record this session as we make it available as a podcast, which we will tell you more about towards the end of the session. And we absolutely welcome audience participation. Just keep in mind, if you do raise your hand again on stage, that you will be part of that recording. My name is Rian, and I'm one of your hosts today. I'm the CEO of Agentivity where we help travel management companies gain insight into and control of their businesses, as well as achieve scalable growth through the effective use of their data.
1: And hello, everyone. Uh, I am Anne, and uh, I work as an independent consultant in uh, the travel industry, uh, with, together with the brands of LeapShift and ExploreTech. So welcome, everybody.
2: And hi, everyone. This is Ash, and I am the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where you can get all the important updates in under 15 minutes. Additionally, I'm the vice president of sales at Traxo, the leader in visibility and real-time direct bookings. And this is Linking the Travel Industry.
0: Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for joining us again. Um, And it's fantastic to see not only familiar faces, Mohit, and and once again, thank you for reposting about this and getting others to join, but also a lot of uh, new faces there, which we haven't seen before. So welcome and thank you for giving us your time today. The format of this discussion really is about a post I do on a Friday, which is a summary of uh, relevant post uh, that we saw on LinkedIn. And again, we do invite you, if, if one of the stories we talk about is of interest and you have an opinion or a comment, just raise your hand, and we'll get you on stage. So I started my post last week with, a, with two stories by a gentleman called Will Horton. He posted quite a bit about airline mergers and consolidation that's happening uh, both within India and also in Singapore. Uh, the India story was about Tata Group cleaning up there and um, you know what they do with Air Asia India, which we talked about before, but also in Singapore, with Singapore Airlines uh, consolidating things between Scoot and Tiger Air, and then there was also post from him about. The challenges that Korean Air is facing with their Asiana Airlines merger. I actually learned quite a bit in those posts about things like Delta having quite a big joint venture with Korean and how that's going to potentially give them a very strong position on that route to Korea, which again might lead to the competition board being a bit annoyed about it. So very interesting stories. If you don't know Will Halton, I would uh, suggest you follow him. Those stories are very interesting. It's, it continues in the theme, and we talked about there's there's plenty of airline consolidation happening in Europe, but Also, clearly, also in the Asian markets, right?
1: Yes, we are seeing consolidations, I think, all over uh, the globe, right? And I so agree with you. I mean, I was thinking to myself when I read those two posts and I thought, you learn so much through LinkedIn, don't you? Absolutely. It's, It's just astonishing and, and, you know, th- this is not at all my key expertise area in any way. As you know, it's it's primarily distribution for me. So I had no idea that Asiana weren't performing, you know, very well. I've been following the scoop because I'm particularly, well, I like Singapore Airlines very much. It's one of my favorite airlines. And I also like scoop very much. So I've sort of been following that. And, and then, of course, we know that India is such a, mm. a large market, right? But the Korea piece was very interesting, and the J V and Delta.
0: It was that was the angle that surprised me the most, and it was very, very good to hear. So, um, Ash, were you aware of the the Delta connection with Korean?
2: Yeah, for in the U.S. market, they've been talking about it for a very long time. And it's kind of like Delta with KLM Air France. It's, you know, the same thought process, but of course, on the other side, as we think of it here, uh, of the world. The whole Korean partnership has been there for several years now. It's definitely been a strong piece of Delta's offering to corporations as far as, you know, Asia is concerned from the U.S. market.
0: Yeah, very interesting times ahead there for those markets. And um, I, was, I was glad I read those stories. <music> Our next story was posted by Elsie Kanza. She's the ambassador for Tanzania to the United States. She posts quite regularly about, obviously, growth uh, stories in specifically East Africa, and she posted about Marriott International opening up Uh, 13 new hotels across the African continent, obviously quite a few of them in East Africa. So I posted about the story from the angle that that just to me confirms the opportunity within the African business travel market. I do believe that market is exploding and, and going to grow rapidly. This is great news and it's really good to see that expansion by an American corporation onto the African continent. Ash, what did you make of that story?
2: Basically what I thought of that is that the expansion of the brands across new areas is I think really, really important as hotels realize that there is only so much that they can have within the markets that they're in, and in order for them to continue to grow and to continue to expand, they have to go into markets that they may not have been familiar with in the past and create new partnerships. And very similarly, there's a couple other hotel stories that are similar in this way. Last week, Radisson announced that they were going to add 150 park and in suite properties all across India. This past week, you had partnership between a Barrow Star and IHG Hotels, which has created a new brand for IHG. Uh, Many people know IHG for all the other brands that they have. Uh, Now this is their 18th brand. And really what you're seeing is you're seeing partnerships between hotel chains into leisure markets in a very strong way, fully realizing that the days of the traditional business format is old now and it is not going to work. And now they need to think about it before. Hyatt, interestingly, did something very similar prior to the pandemic. Uh, when they bought the ALGG uh, property brands, which is all the leisures, uh, leisure and in- all inclusives all over the Caribbean. So you see, you know, two things happening. One is expansion to new territories. Second one is partnership with leisure brands that have been established already, where major chains like the Hyatts and the Hiltons can now take advantage of those situations.
0: It's And it's really good news for that market. Um, and did you did you see that story?
1: Yes, I did. yeah. and um, like you always say um, and um, we always say that Africa is, is a such a fast growing market, and it's definitely the one that is the most interesting, I would say at the moment and um, probably for a very long time to yeah. come.
0: There's a lot happening there. I see this morning yeah. from Rajao, there's a revival of the um, African group of uh, airlines. I'm not saying that correctly. Yes. It's, it's worded differently. I can't recall what it was now. Yeah, yeah that's going to open up um, you know, first freedom-wide flights between you know, uh, other than the home market for many airlines there, which is exciting. <laughs> and um, obviously it goes hand-in-hand hand with the recent developments between Tanzania and the United States, where there's definitely going to be direct flights going between those countries quite soon. So well done to Marriott for picking up on that Great opportunity and um, expanding into those markets. It's, um, it should be interesting to see how that develops. Back to airlines, then. I mean, oh, actually, maybe this the airports. I mean, my next story was um, I spotted this by Clive from the BTA, Clive Ratton, where he wrote about the CEO of Virgin Atlantic. I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce his name right, but it's Shy Weiss, I think, from Virgin Atlantic. He was calling out Heathrow about their high fees. Uh, Clive Rotten was basically saying that it's unacceptable for the UK to have one of the most expensive airports in the world. And I know you talked about this before. I think when we talked about challenges and problems at Heathrow, you mm. mentioned that the fees at Heathrow were really, really high. Why do you think they get away with it?
1: Personally, I don't get this. I don't understand it. But I think it's probably historical. It's always been high. And of course, the slots have been extremely, you know, in demand and and sort of the kind of premium airport rates in Europe. I think that's kind of changing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I don't know if it, if if there will anything you know will come from from Virgin Atlantic you know talking about this in public. Mm. But um, I mean, surely they're a big customer of theirs, and they must have reached a point of discussion where they just couldn't hold it in anymore and had to take it public, right? So interesting yeah. to see that being unfolded there. Ash, any thoughts on that story?
2: Well, I think anytime airlines complain about things, there's two things happening. One of the complaint, and the second one is brand marketing. Who the heck ever likes fees, right? So saying something like you don't like fees is really a good thing to say. And everybody's always happy when you say something like that. Whether or not anything will happen is really up to the airlines. I mean, you know, Heathrow is not the only airport. And for years, you have Gatwick, you have, you know, London City Centre. And I don't really know why those airports are not pushed by the airlines.
0: Luton is a good alternative. I mean, it's great, uh, you know, it's well connected to the city, etc. And what about Gatwick? I mean, Gatwick is is not
2: like anything further than um, Heathrow is. And why do the airlines, every time there's an issue, they cancel their flights to Gatwick first?
0: Yeah, while we do see the airlines trying, we do see them trying those alternatives. I know Qatar and Emirates both now have direct flights out of, of Gatwick, and that's probably to help them leverage that negotiation with Heathrow. So, yeah, they could do the same. I agree. Virgin could easily start flying from the others. So,
1: there we go. Yeah, and the capa- but the capacity at, at Gatwick should – I mean, that airport also needs refurbishing. Um, yes. In my, in my view, yes. right? I, I don't really – it is – it's not the kind of of airport that you associate with sort of long haul traffic in that sense. Yeah. But you know, if if they if they did that, it's um yeah, I, I think that Heathrow is kind of sort of created so this you, kind of.
0: Uh, I'll send Weiss a message and say, you know, is trying on another airport and see what happens. Let's do that.
2: And <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because I've actually flown into both those other yes, airports and fine. I didn't really yes. think I didn't oh, yeah. think anything of it, and I didn't think that they were not good yeah. or anything. And, you know, I don't need all the duty-free shopping. It's like, yeah. OK, just give me a better rate and I'm happy. Yes.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But I don't think that Virgin Atlantic being associated with complaints and fees is going to do much really for, for them, though. Yeah. No, um, I, 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 yeah. I, I mean, they, they are an extremely well-respected brand. And and I think, you know, I think it's good that they're vocal and that they complain. I've always wondered why they don't do more for the infrastructure Around those airports uh, around London,
0: it's interesting that it must relate because they've re- now pulled their support for a third runway at Heathrow, virtually mm, yeah, supporting yeah. you know Heathrow in that bit, but now they've pulled it, so I don't know, you know clearly there's a relation between these two stories. I uh, bet you yeah.
2: that they're up for renegotiation of their existing agreement with there Heathrow. There
0: we go. okay mm, so mm. this is the story behind the story and this so
2: is can... yeah, they're leveraging everything now.
1: But still, I mean, coming back to the infrastructure, I don't understand, for instance, that you haven't got a rail service between Gatwick and Heathrow. Imagine that.
0: The next one is also still related to airports. When did the security checks on liquids at airports start? Can you remember? Do you remember flying before when you could just walk through and nobody could care about the
1: liquids? Oh, vividly. Yes. Really? Yes. Before 9-11. Yeah, because I mean, I used I I worked a lot in France at the time, and I used, of course, you know, stock up my hand luggage full of bottles of wine.
0: Well, the the story relates to the fact that I've seen it now in many other publications as well that they talk about newer technologies Mm. coming to airports where. We won't have to remove the liquids anymore or have limitations on them because the scanners will obviously pick those up as mm-hmm. well. I do know there are certain airports where this is already in place. And I've, I've actually heard from somebody who yes. recently traveled from somewhere where they said this was so nice. They could just, the security was so much faster and smoother because they didn't have that bottleneck. So this is welcome news. Um, right, Ash, would you, uh, would you be welcoming this as well?
2: Well, if you remember, it was Richard Reed, who ha- the shoe bomber. That's, that's when that whole thing started happening. So right. that was in 2001. But uh-huh. um, I, I don't really yeah. get this story because I don't really understand what's the benefit. Well, more specifically, what is the benefit of the liquids being okay all of a sudden now? you know the whole world has finally adapted to this environment and now you want to switch gears on them again i mean it took us so long to get yeah. all the bottles the right sizes and before she takes a trip she pours all her shampoos yeah. into these little bottles she's got a, she's yeah. got a whole routine going you know yeah. all of us know we have to go to the local store and get our little yes. bottles before we take our trips so that yes. it fits i mean we've all normalized ourselves to this i don't want them to change it because you know what's going to happen someone's going to be stupid someone's going to do something dumb and then we're going to go back to it anyway and now we've just created chaos and everybody's going to go nuts and, at the airport and, and everybody's going to be like, I don't know which one it is. Do we have to? Do we not have to? And we're going to spend all our energy instead of trying to fix <laughs> other things that are important like NDC, we're going to be focused yes. on liquids.
0: Well said, Ash. I have to say, but uh, and there's a whole industry around it, right? There's people who started selling what? those little bottles. There's um, actual, the pharmaceutical companies, they've started producing versions of their own products in mm-hmm. those small miniature bottles. Exactly. So yeah. that's all going to go out. So, um, I absolutely <laughs> agree with you. We should be spending our energy <laughs> on fixing real problems.
2: Yes,
1: I can't get back to my wine bottles in the hand yes. luggage
2: then. Oh, well, that's really sad. But did they say, like, why do they want to do this? I mean, what's the reason for this? It's
0: apparently very focused on the traveler inconvenience of having to do all those steps mm-hmm. and bottlenecks. Yeah, How about,
2: and how about they go. just give us seats on the plane and, and call it yes. even, you know, like, yes. we don't need there the liquid piece.
0: As we have figured out before, there's Travelers and there's travelers, right? So, of course, there's still travelers who don't, haven't adapted to this liquid rule and show up at the airport with bottles. Oh,
2: come on, Rian. Who hasn't adapted (laughs) to the liquid? Please introduce me to this one person. Like you know, I, I'd I'll love take, to know. I'll
1: take photos next time. Yes, yes in private yes, and send to you. Absolutely. I've got I've, I've got many, many, many examples. And a good friend of mine, he actually thinks that we should all have tutorials beforehand. This should be taught okay. at school how to go through security at yep. airports because it, he's so frustrated by all these people who just don't get it. <laughs>
0: The next one was a very confusing story. I didn't like this at all, but it was worth mentioning. I think travolution.com did a very poor job of writing about this. It looked to me like a copy-paste of a press release, but um, there's a a platform from British Airways they call Collaborate, spelled with a C-O-2, and then Laborate, where there are now more choices for customers purchasing offsets. And Of course, this is if you are in the camp that believes in purchasing offsets rather than the supplier doing something about their offsets. So um, you know, there's that discussion to be had, but I thought I'd include that story. I do wish, though, that um, Travelish.com would have done a better job of talking about this. And did you see that? Could you make more of it than I could from this story, or was it as poorly written as I thought?
1: Yes, I thought it was. But, but again, you know I'm in the camp who believes that this is something that the airlines should uh, mm-hmm. do something about, that I'm very much opposed to the sort of offset becoming a product Yep. yeah and and I think a lot of the stuff that's written in general is is quite poorly described and difficult to understand this is
0: both something you and Arsh has convinced me about that I, we shouldn't be thinking about this but we should put the onus on the supplier and um, so I've, I've moved over to that camp as well. the last one on my list today was Shashank posting about the good and the bad about the carbon offshoot offered by his uh, Air Canada trip but what I like about his story is he takes you through the experience from his perspective end to end and he had a few suggestions there for Air Canada as how well they can improve it most notably showing him some of those options beforehand so that his decision making about which fair to tape includes you know what offset options he's got which of course sounds very obvious but that was a good post there by Shashank and it just related to the same thing there so so um, these offset options. So those were the stories on my list, but we both seem to have a related story. I think, should it's going to be the same story. So tell us about your related story.
2: Well, my related story was something that uh, happened last week with Etihad Airways. And Etihad Airways Claim to operate its first net zero flight. And so basically, what they're saying, and the word that is being used, is this thing called book and claim. And it's a process by which an airline can say that my flight that I just flew is a net zero flight using this book and claim system. And the way the book and claim works is that the flight that you're flying on actually is not SAF, has nothing to do with SAF at all, but because you Flew that plane and you captured the dollar value. You then take that dollar value and buy SAF at a totally different city and different airport in different country that has that available. Oh my but goodness. then you can claim oh, that the one down. that you flew with full, you know, with, with nothing to do with SAF is now a net zero flight. So this is a new. I guess, scheme or, you know, and maybe scheme is negative, but I'm sure they thought about this quite well and they were trying to figure it out and how to do this with, you know, maybe in certain parts of the world, you're never going to have SAF fuel available, but yet you want to fly it. So I think in that scenario, it kind of works in that way. But then how is the consumer to know? And does the consumer need to know? And does it really matter um, if at the end it all... Evens out yeah. anyway, right? So, um, but this new book and claim system I thought wow. was really interesting because I never heard of it before. And now, all of a sudden, it was being introduced. This flight was introduced, and they claimed that this was their first net zero flight, but yet it wasn't.
1: Wow. I mean, you should add something does that does the consumer understand? I struggled there for a while before I understood what mm. you were talking about, but now I get it. But
0: Wow and, So you, and based, on, based on your previous comments, should the consumer be worried about this? I mean this is about the airline making sure that they do the right thing. Why impose that on the consumer with all that complexity?
2: Well, I think that, you know, you're going to start to see flights being pushed as a net zero flight. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, what is the point of all of this? It's to make the climate better and the environment better. Are we really going to achieve that? I mean, if I can just take the money and put it in an account and say, okay, this is a net zero flight, then my net zero on the environment is nothing. I haven't done anything, right? right. All I've done is flown the plane, but yet in the minds of the consumer, you're thinking that you're doing better for the world and you're choosing a flight and doing all these kind of things that you do. I think the consumer at the end of the day is trying to do everything they can because everybody wants to save the planet. But now you have added confusion to the process and the net impact is nothing.
0: Very complex. I mean, uh, my related story is is about something completely the opposite. So it's it's, it's good it's not the same story, but this is about EasyJet, you know, being very focused on achieving uh, or looking after their impact on the environment as a company themselves right so they're not that focused on the offsets they're focusing on the prevention you know of these emissions and so they've teamed up with Rolls-Royce and they've just performed the first proper jet engine test running on hydrogen and so you know that sort of commitment and investment to me makes a lot more sense because they're actually putting their money where their mouth is they're investing in that sort of testing and research and they're partnering with existing suppliers in the chain. You know, technically, if that succeeds and they can continue with it, there's very little disruption to what changes they have to make to the aircraft, et cetera. And I thought that was a fantastic story to read about. I saw it in a few places this morning. And that's why I wasn't on my list from last week. But, um, you know, I applaud EasyJet once again for for that sort of approach, right, and focusing on it and, and doing something proactive about this.
1: And and especially, I mean, if you're purchasing offsets, to be very transparent about what you are doing with that money and where it goes to. That's why I really like the uh, Canada uh, approach there, because that, that's really you know, telling the consumer, what do I do with this? What happens once you've paid your $40 or whatever? What happens to the $40? And that, I think, is extremely important, the transparency of that.
2: So- I'd rather it be an option than a mandate, by the way. So let's hope yes. that we never get to that point.
0: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. I have a couple of stories that um, I've seen. There was a post by Emirate uh, informing us that they now have introduced the buy now, pay later uh, solution uh, together with Uplift. Um, and that, of course, I, I think is a really step and in, in a great step in the right direction because we... Um, we need uh, more alternative forms of payment and and better sort of you know more modern uh, forms of payment that customers are using in for other products and in other situations etc uh, when they're purchasing mm-hmm. so that was one that I was really happy to see that) <laughs>
2: We mentioned Scoot early in the stories today. Scoot is officially an IATA member. They just Uh joined IATA, and so now they'll get all the benefits and the goodness of of IATA coming to them. Wow,
0: that is – I didn't know that. Wow. Fantastic. Now we'll see them slow down with NDC and that stuff, right?
2: (laughs) Before they were free, now they're going to be <laughs> controlled, yes.
0: Now they're caged, yes. <laughs> there we <go>. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I shouldn't have said that, but um, good luck to the By the way, the next, his
2: uh, next general meeting is in Istanbul, Rian, uh-huh. so. Very well. okay. You should oh, go yeah. and check it out.
0: I'm Not sure I'm welcome. There. <laughs> Different story, but fine. Let's see. Okay, so from my side, I just want to thank those in the audience. It's again, it's fantastic to see some new faces. It's really, it's really good of you to give us your time. Um, and thank you from me to both Anna and Ash for your time. We do this weekly, and from my side, we'll see. You, we'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone.
2: And thank you, everyone, for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Monday, and it is all about linking the travel industry. Please share this with everyone that you know, like Mohit did today. And we also would love it if you would do the same. And if you enjoyed the session today, chances are high that others that you know will do as well. And for those of you who cannot make it because of time zone or availability, we make the session available as a podcast on Business Travel 360. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off.